he's doing well. I just spoke to him. He's doing very well. No temperature. And uh, he actually called me early this morning. He was the first call I got. Now he's doing very well. He's another champion. Greatest mayor in the history of New York. And uh, what he's doing now is more important. And he will admit that. He was the greatest mayor. Did a fantastic job, especially when you see what's going on nowadays, Dan. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was a great, great uh, mayor. And what he's doing now, and he will say it, is even more important. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Week in Review. This past week saw a steamroller of karmic retribution finally plow through the Trump administration with much-needed devastation. After a loudly flatulent performance in front of the Michigan legislature, where the president's personal attorney literally sharded himself on live television, Rudy Giuliani was diagnosed with COVID-19 earlier this week, along with his co-counsel, the equally bellicose and belligerently misleading Jennifer Ellis. The coronavirus has again hit President Trump's inner circle. This time, it's his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who was admitted yesterday to Georgetown University Medical Center in Washington. Rudy Giuliani appeared on television Sunday morning, claiming President Trump's fight to overturn the election results was making progress. Just hours later, the president revealed that Giuliani tested positive for COVID-19. He spoke in Arizona, Georgia, and Michigan, often without covering his face. I don't want you to do this if you feel uncomfortable, but would you be comfortable taking your mask off so that people could hear you more clearly? Can, can you hear me now? So for now, the president's entire legal infrastructure has been sidelined with disease and infection. Typhoid Donnie super spreader events may be incredibly dangerous and stupid, but also because of them, COVID infection has done what no one else has been able to do to get Rudy to shut the fuck up with his dirty mouth and make him go back home and watch the internet porn or old home movies of Donald Trump. I gave you the answer. The answer that I gave you is they didn't bother to interview a single witness. Just like you, they don't want to know the truth. Well, you probably know the truth. I'm worried about they're not wanting to know the truth. The president himself was said to be more than relieved as even he was growing weary of Rudy's near constant self-humiliation and legal losses. Nonetheless, ever the dutiful friend, Trump tweeted at Rudy Giuliani, by far the greatest mayor in the history of New York City, and who has been working tirelessly exposing the most corrupt election by far in the history of the United States of America, has tested positive for the China virus. Get better soon, Rudy. We will carry on. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All of this is just as well considering the Supreme Court, in a terse one-line refutation, stayed a ruling from the Federal Appeals Court to invalidate ballots in the state of Pennsylvania by refusing to even hear the case. The Supreme Court has now shot down an effort by President Trump's allies in Pennsylvania in that overall effort to try to overturn the election. Terry, the U.S. Supreme Court seemed to send a very strong signal late today with uh, very few words. They sure did. This was brutal, David. No question about it. It took the Supreme Court just 34 minutes between the time that President Trump's allies in Pennsylvania filed their brief in this case and a one-sentence order from the Supreme Court rejecting that entire case. Uh, No reasoning, just no, get out of here. And there were no recorded dissents by any of the justices, including Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, all of whom were appointed by President Trump. It came in a single 
final sentence, and we quote, the application for injunctive relief presented to Justice Alito and by him referred to the court is denied. If you were wondering when this would all be over, you can rest easy. It's fucking over. Trump's notion of stacking the courts, then manipulating the judicial system to manufacture a second term was nothing but a pipe dream. No one, and I repeat, no one was willing to go with him on these fraud investigations. Zero to 53 was his court record, and many of those cases were tried in front of recent Trump appointees. Isn't it true that uh, President Trump won that county? I don't give a rip who won. What matters to me is that the people's vote is more protected than their urine. The process is flawed when your urine is more protected than your vote. This goes to show you his simplistic and transactional approach to judicial appointments. Each time he puts a name before the court in the back of his mind, Trump wondered, what can this person do for me? And reach its apotheosis in the nomination of Amy Comey Barrett for the Supreme Court to fill the seat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In Barrett, Trump was convinced he had found his Manchurian candidate, his own bought and paid for judge on the Supreme Court. In Trump's mind, Barrett would be so grateful to Trump for the appointment that she would rubber stamp whatever was put in front of her that favored the president. It's the reason why he wanted her rush through confirmation. To Trump, it wasn't about cementing his legacy and shifting the direction of the court rightward for a generation. He couldn't give a shit. Remember, the man has no core beliefs. He is neither right nor left. He's just Donald Trump and seeks power for the sake of power. And with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he saw the opportunity to put his stamp on the court, but for his own gain. Trump only does what's good for Trump. And he knew the election was headed for the courts. Barrett was to be his wedge for a second term. Only it didn't turn out that way, did it? Judges have heard the cases and have been among the harshest critics of the legal arguments put forth by Trump's legal team, often dismissing them with scathing language of repudiation. No, I mean, I, I was going to use a more diplomatic phrase like uniquely unserious to describe the lawsuit. I think you just went with dumb and stupid. I'll adopt your terms. Uh, it, it really is. And it is based on this this lawsuit based on debunked tweets and conspiracy theories, lies that haven't held up in court. And now we find ourselves with the president and some of these attorneys general trying to spin their wheels and uh, thwart the will of the people in at least four states. Or perhaps it had nothing to do with Trump at all. And was the court merely reacting to Ted Cruz offering to try the case in front of the high court? Which proves my theory once again, that everybody hates fucking Ted Cruz and the Supreme Court decided not to hear the case, not based on any overriding sense of duty or justice, but rather Cruz is so despised by literally everyone on Capitol Hill that they'd rather watch Trump dance naked to YMCA than watch Ted Cruz litigate. Nobody likes him, everybody loathes him, he gives people the blues of rhetoric that's hateful. He serves up a plateful, so everybody hates Ted Cruz. It started in college, classmates acknowledge he's the roommate no one would choose. Snobby and cheap, he was borderline creepy, all the students hated Ted Cruz. On Tuesday, 
Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton sued the states of Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, alleging that they violated the Constitution based on a litany of already dismissed complaints. Paxton asked the U.S. Supreme Court to invalidate their 62 electoral college votes for Joe Biden, a move that would swing the election to Trump and would be unprecedented in American history. Uh, the president's ride or die brigades in Congress uh, continue to support him. Uh, Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, he's now asking all House Republicans to join him in this amicus brief backing President Trump's efforts uh, launched by the Attorney General of Texas, which would essentially overturn the election results in four states that Biden won. Now, we should point out, we have discussed this lawsuit on the show before, and it's not taken seriously by any credible legal experts on the left or the right. CNN anchor Jake Tapper on Wednesday went off on the Republicans and President Donald Trump for their clownish coup attempt, branding their effort to subvert democracy and nullify the presidential election over baseless voter fraud conspiracies as absolutely disgraceful. It's just not a credible lawsuit, Tapper reiterated, citing conservative attorney George Conway's recent assessment of the suit. It's full of nonsense and conspiracy theories. Uh, George Cor Conway, who the president once considered for the position of solicitor general in his administration, was on the show yesterday, and he said that that lawsuit is full of lie after lie after lie. It's just not a credible lawsuit. It's full of it looks more and more like Trump is slowly succumbing to reality that he will not be the president after January 20th. The Electoral College votes on Monday, and with that, there will be very little left for him to dispute beyond these Hail Mary long-shot lawsuits that his cronies continue to file. Right, but then is it possible in any way then to sue you people? Sue who? You. I'm asking you for help. Sue who? Me? Yes. Why you want to sue me? Well, I'm trying to explain. I had a terrible accident. What's that to do with me? Well, I'm asking you for help, and uh, maybe I could sue for punitive damages that you're giving me. I'm giving you? Yes. Me? Yes. what I do to you? Well, punitive damages here. I, you, I'm a lawyer. What did I do to you? The sidecar smashed into a pole and everything. I'm trying to explain this to you. Well, hey, well, you want to sue me? Well, why not? Me? Sue everybody. Also on Tuesday, Trump held what was billed as a summit in celebration of the efforts taken to develop a vaccine to help end the COVID-19 pandemic. But after a few minutes of touting the success of Operation Warp Speed, his address morphed into an unspooling of grievances over the election outcome, as well as an unfounded assertion that the rising number of COVID-19 cases across the country was, in fact, a terrific development. I hear we're close to 15%. I'm hearing that. And that's terrific, Trump said, of the percentage of Americans who have contracted COVID-19. Plus, you do have an immunity. You develop immunity over a period of time. And I hear we're close to 15%. I'm hearing that. And that is terrific. He appeared to be referencing the increased likelihood that a rising infection rate would bring the country closer to the so-called herd immunity which would effectively stop the virus from spreading because there would be no potential carriers to which it could go. Instead, our moron-in-chief was rooting for more suffering and death as most scientists posit that herd immunity is attainable only when 70% of the population is infected, and that would mean millions more dead. Uh, and we've seen around the world every single attempt to wait it out, to just let the virus circulate until 
some mythological percentage of the population is immune means that you're sacrificing many, many members of your population, especially your senior citizens and people living in assisted living programs and so on. According to an Axios report, Donald Trump is planning his own inauguration day escape from Washington. In another shameless and unprecedented action, Trump will reportedly stage a made-for-TV departure via Marine One from the White House to Andrews Air Force Base, where he will take Air Force One, and hopefully for the last time, to Palm Beach, where a massive rally will await the president with thousands of cheering MAGA warriors. Trump hopes all of this will play out simultaneously with the Biden inauguration and this country's solemn and peaceful transfer of power. And we're hearing reports that Trump is planning a big surprise on Inauguration Day. As Joe Biden is sworn in at the Capitol, Trump is reportedly thinking of holding a competing event, a rally announcing a presidential run in 2024. And now for the main event. My guest today on Mea Culpa is Maz Jabrani, the actor and comedian who starred on the Axis of Evil Middle East comedy tour, a groundbreaking tour of the U.S. and Middle Eastern countries where it sold out 27 shows in Dubai, Beirut, Cairo, Kuwait, and Amman. The Axis of Evil Comedy Central special premiered in 2007 as, arguably, the first show on American TV with an all-Middle Eastern American cast. He is also the author of the best-selling memoir, I'm Not a Terrorist, But I Play One on TV. In addition, he is a frequent host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and a popular TED speaker. Currently, Jabrani hosts his own hit podcast, Back to School. Leading up to the election and its aftermath, Jabrani's Twitter feed delivered much-needed laughs during an especially tense time for me as we awaited this nation's fate. Now, as we're winding down the clock, I decided I should reach out to Jabrani and get a sense of what his views were on these final days of Donald Trump. So let's listen now to that conversation. Just today, you retweeted an article from Mother Jones that read, 274,000 dead, and Trump obsesses over election conspiracy theories. Where's the outrage? The piece goes on to compare the current moment to the Republican outrage over Bill Clinton's tryst with Monica Lewinsky and the moral outrage that arose from that moment. Why do you think this relative silence over this horrific milestone? You know, Michael, it's a, it's so crazy because I have, so I, I come from an immigrant background. I was born in Iran, grew up in America. So I've always been very, um, very much uh, sympathetic to immigrant causes, to anything that is, to people that are, that, that are, I, let's say, um, uh, uh, oppressed or people that are being pushed, you know, and, and I've got a lot of friends that are Iranian Americans who have fallen for the Trump Kool-Aid and it blows my mind. Like you said, a lot of my friends, it, it, it takes them, it, it, even at this point, it's so obvious that, that the election is over. It's so obvious that the, that the uh, uh, all the voter fraud accusations, I mean, it's becoming farcical where you see Rudy Giuliani's farting and then his hair his hair dyes, you know, uh, uh, coming down. I mean, it's become a joke, but they still, people are still holding on. And I don't know what it is, Michael. I feel like there's this 
weird tribalism that's gone beyond tribalism. And I don't think it's that they that they are that they don't want to admit that they were wrong. They, I don't know if it's that they don't want to admit that they that they uh, put their faith uh, into the wrong person. But I know personally, and I've had to compete with this as a comedian. I've always been open to look. I, I, I was a fan of Barack Obama's. I voted for Barack Obama. But if somebody came to me and said, you know, the, he had the most drone strikes under his presidency, I would say, yeah, he's not perfect. He, he had some he had some faults. But Trump can't have faults. That's what's crazy, Michael. He can't have faults. Even to this point, when when it's obvious he's lost, he's still not admitting he lost. And meanwhile, as, as it says in the article, hundreds of thousands of people are dying. People are getting sick. And he is just kind. I mean, I don't know. Do you know why? Why do they go with him still? So I don't know the answer to that either. But it's interesting because you just reminded me of a story. A very, very dear friend of mine, he's Iranian, as is his wife. But they've been living in the United States since sometime in the mid to late 70s. The guy owns several buildings in Manhattan. So obviously, he's in the real estate industry. And he has two children that were born here at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City. They carry two passports. They still retain their Iranian passport as well as the United States passport. And I remember in January of 2017, I was in the Oval Office talking to Trump and he asked me point blank what I thought of his of his ban, uh, meaning the Muslim ban. And I turned around, I said, why? Why? I mean, that's not what we had talked about. The first thing you were supposed to do was an infrastructure. You can't ban a religion from the country. I said, I want to tell you a quick story. So he goes, sure. So I said, there's a friend of mine who's actually been a supporter of yours, both, you know, supporter, uh, both for his candidacy as well as financial. And his brother, my friend, the Iranian, lives in London. So he went to visit his brother who wasn't feeling well. And when he came back to the United States, he was detained at JFK airport for several hours. So Trump turns around and he looks with that sort of stupid look in his face. And he says to me, well, that's just to say, I said, no, no, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, let me explain something to you. He's Jewish, right? He's Persian, right? Which is tech, the same as they carry the Iranian passports. He's a supporter of yours. And at the same time, he financially supported your campaign. He has two natural born children. He has a U.S. He goes, it's just that's just the way it's going to have to be. We'll try to get it better the next time. As he blames Steve Bannon and Steve Miller for that specific policy. And that you just reminded me of that. And it was and when I came back and I told my buddy about this, he looked at me and he said to me, man, what an asshole. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's still fucking supporting him. And I can't understand it because they're all thinking about it with their pocketbook instead of what's morally right or wrong. That's my opinion. I, I think you I think you, you, you hit on something because a lot of my friends that are supporters of his obviously look, I, they, they want less taxes. I, I tell them I want less taxes. But I go, there's certain things that we need in our in our government. We need our government to have certain responses to certain things. And we see in it now. It's it's amazing because all the disasters that came about. Each group that was getting pushed against would go out and 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 protest. So it was the you know women's protest, and there was like you said the Muslim ban. There was a, a, a protest against that. Then there was you know all these protests, people people fighting him. But once the pandemic hit, and we really saw how incompetent his leadership was, 
and is and 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 all about him. It's it was I, I was telling a friend of mine, I go, if he early on, if he had started listening to the scientists and said, All right, we're gonna go with science, we're gonna try and look, it is the United States of America. Maybe you can't federally mandate masks because of state rights and all that stuff, but at least you could you can send that message and go along with the scientists. And then if we were in this situation, he could throw his hands up and go, look, I went with the scientists. I did what I was supposed to do and we still are screwed. And then at least you could say, all right, the guy, you know, I think he might've had a chance to win if he played it that way, but you know him better than I do. His ego, the way he is, he had to try and hide it. Meanwhile, telling Bob Woodward that, oh, I knew it was dangerous, but but I don't wanna, I don't wanna say it's too dangerous because I got to keep the stock market numbers up. And you run into people like your friend, which I, I have conversations with them. You know, the Iranian community, similar to a lot of the, uh, the, the, the Latino communities you get in Florida, you know, a lot of these communities who are uh, expats from their old countries and they're immigrants here, they hate their government back home. And the truth is, I'm sure your friend is the same, I'm the same. We all know that the Iranian government is oppressive. The same way that a lot of people that are, you know, Cubans or, or from these other countries, Venezuelans might say, our government back home is oppressive. It's a bad government. Totally agree and totally get it. However, however, I remind them, I go, this guy talks a big game, but he ain't going to deliver nothing. The job of an American president is not to prioritize Iran or Cuba or Venezuela. The job of the American president is to prioritize Americans. And so then we get into this question of, well, what's a better way to deal with this? And I personally have always felt that uh, the uh, Obama, uh, um, the, uh, um, the, the nuclear deal that he made with Iran, I personally thought, yes, it had flaws, but at least it was opening the door to diplomacy. It was allowing us to bring Iran into the world economy. And then if Iran continued to misbehave, we had a way of going, look, we gave you a taste of a good economy. Don't make us pull it out again. And meanwhile, that would have also made it so that the people of Iran suffer less. That's where my heart goes to those people. And so it's interesting, Michael. I've had these conversations with friends of mine. I've said, don't you see, there's no, there's no plan, you see. Trump does things with no plan. That travel ban was a perfect example. On a Friday, they just announced travel ban. People start landing at the airport at LAX who have had visas that have been approved and they're having immigration officers. I have, I have you know, firsthand stories of people telling me that their elderly parents had, had had visas, landed at LAX and the immigration officers were saying, just sign right here, not knowing that they were signing away their, their visa and they were put back on a plane and sent back to where they came from. And then when you ask Trump exactly what you said, you go, well, wh how, why did you announce it the way you announced it? Why did you just announce it on a Friday as opposed to saying, guys, in a month and a half, if you have visas from, from now to a month and a half, you're allowed to come, but then we're going to cut it off. And his answer was, well, the um, uh, uh, um, a lot of law enforcement authorities were telling me that if we give them the heads up, then terrorists will get in under the the timeline and they'll get in before the deadline. And my thought is, wait a minute, terrorist job is to be a criminal. So whether you give terrorists a, a deadline or you don't, they're gonna find a way in. So what are you talking about? And none of it makes sense, none of it's logical, and yet friends like yours, friends like mine continue to support the guy over and over. And there's some issue in the psychology. I don't know what it is. Right. And well, unfortunately, most of my friends now have now shifted the real question to, 
what the hell was up with Rudy's hair? We all know that that's obviously hair dye and it was dripping down the side of his face. But the question that I've been getting so much over the last, you know, day and a half, two days, did Giuliani really fart during that testimony? Or was that somebody who did it on, you know, on Facebook or on Twitter? Is it real or is it not? I thought that it was someone that was editing it in, but I started following different people reporting it. Even, uh, you know, Colbert had a very funny bit on it last night. Uh, I've been following people and I'm, I'm convinced now that he was actually farting. Now, the, the, the issue is, here's, here's the dilemma as a comedian, because I think the job of a comedian is to make fun of hypocrisy, to point it out, to show the hypocrisy. And, and I've done that you know, whenever I had a chance when it comes to politics. But the problem be becomes that when we make fun of them, sometimes we almost humanize them. And what they're doing is not, should not be humanized. Even this thing that they're doing with this crazy, uh, uh, taking donations from their supporters and saying they're gonna use it to fight this legal battle, that's a lost battle. It's it's dangerous to democracy. So Rudy, the guy with the dye running down his face, farting in Michigan, is actually challenging the establishment of democracy. So it's a it's a it's a little bit of a dilemma you have sometimes. You go, how much do I make fun of them, and how much do I try to ignore them? At this point, I feel like ignoring them is the best thing to do. What when when Facebook put him on for his for Trump on for his speech the other day, I thought it was a horrible move by Facebook. They shouldn't let him get up there and just lie the way he was lying. At least Twitter's been putting a little warning on a lot of his tweets. But even then, he's got 80 million people, and as you know. There are people who still believe that there was some fraud that would have somehow flipped this election. And it's just totally ridiculous. Well, let's just agree that Giuliani is a fucking nightmare and a mess. But Maz, <laughs> you, recently, you recently retweeted Michael Beschloss saying, leaders who failed to provide the leadership to avert monstrous historical calamities like a pandemic should bear the historical burden with a sense of shame and penitence. Talk to me about what you were feeling when you wrote this and how specifically should certain figures bear this historical burden? Well, I retweeted Michael Beschloss, who's a, a presidential historian, so he knows this stuff. And I agree 100 percent with what he said. And and here's again another dilemma, because a lot of people say, well, uh, maybe when Biden comes in, he should just say, look, we're not going to pursue any other criminal uh, activity of Trump's and just move on and 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 heal the country in that way. Part of me goes, yes, I see how that could be good. But part of me goes, we can't let this guy get away with the stuff he's done. And one of the biggest uh, atrocities of his presidency has been the lack of leadership through the coronavirus. I'll be the first to say the coronavirus is not Trump's fault. It's not his administration's fault. It didn't come from that his administration. However, Again, going to personal experience, I will tell you, Michael, uh, January of this year, February of this year, as wind started uh, coming about, the virus coming to America, I had all these tour dates lined up as a stand-up comedian, and I was getting ready to tour, and I went to a couple of the dates, and March was rolling around, and I still had my dates on the books, and people were asking me, are you still going to go? Are you going to go? And I said, well... Yeah, because the government hasn't said anything. So I'm guessing it's still safe. I honestly thought that the government would not um, um, 
uh, sweep it under the rug the way that they try to sweep it under the rug. And so I, the, the only reason I canceled my shows in early March was because the fans in Canada, I was going to Canada and the fans in Canada were saying, it's really serious. You got to not come. And so I canceled my shows. I had shows in Toronto, Ottawa, and New Jersey. And even when I contacted the, the theater in New Jersey, this is early March, like March 6th, March 7th. They were saying, well, we're ready to go. We're ready to have a show with 500 to 1,000 people in a room. Come on down. And the problem was there was a lack of leadership. And I don't know, obviously you remember, the, the leadership came from the NBA. The NBA had to cancel their game. And then the country goes, oh, okay, maybe we should start stop canceling these big gatherings. So yes, he should be held accountable for what he knew, for what he tried to hide. Peter Navarro, his whole administration, everybody who has tried to, Peter Navarro had that memo early on, but then he comes back and defends him again. Everybody who's part of you know, sweeping that under the rug should be held accountable. And guys like Dr. Fauci should be, you know, uh, 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 you know, worshipped for what they did. And, and then, of course, there's the counter argument when he goes, well, Dr. Fauci said, don't wear masks. Well, listen, let's work in nuanced terms. Doctor, when you talk to Dr. Fauci, he goes, the reason we said don't wear masks at that point was people were hoarding masks. We didn't want people to hoard the N95s. And we're saying, you know, try these other things. And we eventually came around and science showed that the masks actually are needed. So we pivoted. But it's just, he should be held accountable. And and I and I and I'm happy Michael uh, Bexlos put that out and and I hope and I hope that he's held accountable uh, and his and his family and his people they should all be held accountable. Well, I believe that uh, under the Biden administration that the Attorney General that will be hopefully appointed will have to hold them accountable because I too have heard even from President-elect Biden you know let's let's stop this divisiveness. Let's try to heal as a country. Unfortunately, the Democrats, the adage that they really had over the past year and a half since the re-election campaign started is that no one is above the law. And that stands true for Donald Trump, for Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Jared, for all of them. You know, but speaking of this pandemic, you recently retweeted Steve Hofstetter about a typical anti-vaxxer reaction to the COVID vaccine. And you wrote, I'm not just going to take some vaccine. You have to be careful what you put in your body. She says before washing her McDonald's down with Mountain Dew, right, on her, on her way to, um, to do meth with a stranger she met on Tinder. Discuss with me how we're ever going to vaccinate wide swaths of this country when we're dealing with scores of folks who actually go about their lives in this fashion. You know, yes, yeah, Steve Hofstetter is a very funny comedian, and uh, that was a very funny tweet he had. And, and, and the truth is, yes, as Americans, we, 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 we cling on to, to certain political slogans without self-analysis. It's so easy to blame some deep state leftist conspiracy, meanwhile, not looking at your own life. And it's true. There's a lot of skepticism. I'll be honest with you. Listen, this the, uh, the, the vaccine has come fast. So I personally, if you said you go first, I might say eh, you go first. However, I do intend to, ha to get it. And, and I know that it's not even my choice because what's going to happen is they're going to first vaccinate the vulnerable. Then they're going to vaccinate the frontline workers. And by then we will have caught any other 
flaws that might be in the vaccine. And the truth is, if we want to get out of this together, we got to do it together. And so that, again, goes back to the messaging that's coming from this this bozo who is telling people, you know, uh, uh, you know, his messaging comes and goes. And and and, and that's why, uh, you know, when Kamala Harris said, I'm not going to trust what if Donald Trump says it, I'm going to trust it when the scientists say it. There's been so much lack of trust in this country uh, because of the of the the, the 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 misinformation that's been out there. And and as you know, you know, we have I, I, I was talking about this. I went to I went to uh, Berkeley for undergrad. And when I was there, you would walk through an area called Sproul Plaza where people are out there um, trying to get people to join organizations and there's someone yelling and there's always some, this is back in uh, uh, the early nineties, late eighties. There was always some guy yelling something crazy. He was just saying, you know, whatever it was, it was some conspiracy or, 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 you know, religious conspiracy, whatever it was, he was nuts. And you knew he was nuts. And you would look at him and you would keep walking and you would say, okay, whatever, he's harmless. Well, that guy now has, a platform. Social media has given those guys platforms. They have millions of followers. And that's why you end up in this QAnon world. I have some of my very intelligent friends who, when the pandemic started, were telling me uh, that that somehow Dr. Fauci, Bill Gates, uh, you know, uh, uh, Soros, these guys were all involved in some conspiracy the whole pandemic thing. And they would send me these videos. These are doctors. These are educated people sending me videos that that were that were crazy. And so, yes, I don't know how we're going to get a large swath of the population to take the vaccine. But I do hope that messages like we got the other day with uh, George W. Bush and Obama and, and Clinton, Bill Clinton saying they'll take it in public to show that it's that it's something that should be done. Or uh, Elvis Presley took the polio vaccine. Somebody was I saw this on TV the other day. Um, actually, it was Stephen Colbert again. I watch him all the time. Um, but but I hope that enough people in the public eye can s- sway people's minds to take it because that's the only way out. And and I don't count on any leadership from the existing administration to get us out of it. So, Maz, since we're talking crazy right now, and since you're a guy that obviously stays into the news, did you watch the testimony of Maria Carone in Michigan, Rudy Starr witness the other day? Because to me, That was the most glorious train wreck that I have seen in a very, very long time. It's almost like they're having Saturday Night Live produce their legal response to the election. And it's actually Lorne Michaels and not Rudy Giuliani in charge. Discuss with me, if you would, for a second, what you think that they're doing here. Because this and what's going on in Georgia is beyond insane. Well, first of all, you hit on something, which is it's hard for comedians to make anything funnier than reality when it is what it was. I was watching her testify and it reminded me uh, I, ha- I have an aunt who used to uh, drink, get drunk and just, you know, she would start saying things that you were like, oh, boy, here she goes. She's drunk again. And that's what was going on. And I was cracking up again because, again, it's it's dangerous because this woman was out of her mind. Um, but it's funny at the same time. And so it's it, it's I, I don't know how how this ends. I really don't. I don't think and you know him better than I do. I don't think his ego will allow him to ever say I lost, uh, you know, even when he lost the popular vote. In 2016, I mean, what kind of sick in the head type of person do you got to be where you win the election, but you're still worried about that popular 
number or the, 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 the other number that doesn't matter as much. And you're obsessed with it and you're making up lies. They're saying, yeah, they were busting in immigrants to vote for that popular number. So that's why I lost a popular vote. Dude, you won the game. Just move on. Yeah, I talk about this a lot in Disloyal. It's narcissistic, sociopathic disorder. He is obsessed. And you're right. He has an incredibly, incredibly fragile ego. I mean, the notion that his that that his inaugurational numbers have to be the biggest. Right. They have to dwarf anything that came close to Barack Obama's, which they did not. Right. Nothing bothered Trump more than photos of Barack Obama in Germany when he had that massive crowd that was there and they said that there were millions of people and Trump's first comment was bullshit. They were not. It's made up numbers. They're always trying to pep him up. He was angry that he didn't that he was not invited to Germany and that he didn't have these type of crowds. But I do want to ask you, are you as fascinated as I am with Kaylee McEnany? I mean, you are a comedian, first and foremost. Are you not just fascinated with this crazy girl, right? She takes lying and gaslighting to an entirely new level in her defense of the president and her relationship to the press. Now, I can't tell if she's just completely and totally brainwashed as I once was or realizes that she has no political future outside of Donald Trump. So she's willing to hitch her wagon to him for eternity. I can't figure her out. Well, Michael, you bring up a, 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 a couple of good points. First of all, I have to admit, I was so happy seeing uh, Biden's announcements for his communications team, for his uh, for his uh, cabinet and seeing people where I go, these are competent people who are going to be not. I mean, it, we've we've had four years of press secretaries lying over and over. It's almost part of the I mean, it's part of the job is I, I know your job is to spin and to bob and weave. But the amount of lying that happens, I don't know how one lives with themselves from Sarah Huckabee to her to Kaylee McEnany to uh, um, uh, Sean the, Spicer, the, the first guy, forget it, Sean, Sean Spicer. That's what to, you know, it's it's it, it, I don't know. Again, I as a comedian, my job is to try to find comedy and find truth in something and find vulnerability. So I'll get on stage and I'll talk about, you know, my kids are driving me nuts or something's going on with my wife or my parents used to do this, but I'm, but I'm finding the truth and being honest. I think a press secretary's job is the opposite where they go, I got to take your truth and find how to spin it into a lie that I can still say is truth. But when you're dealing with a guy who's gotten ticked for over 20,000 lies in four years, that are important lies. At a certain point, I don't know why. As a human being, if there's ever a moment where you, where you just go, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I don't know if you're on medic and drugs. I don't know if you're on medication. And going back to what you just said, you know, you said you were, you were, you you, you fell for for the cult or the hip, hypnosis or whatever it is. I don't know what the thought process was when you were in there. And I don't know if she's got that thought process or if she goes home and, you know, just knocks her head against the wall for all night to go back again the next day. But it's 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 beyond um, um, understandable. I, I Again, there's a there's a sickness going on. 
Yeah, it is a sickness. But, you know, you brought up also a, a good point, which is um, that there's a whole slew of individuals that are coming into the Biden um, Kamala Harris administration. And one thing I wanted to point out that is pointed out continuously in the press is that there are a very, very large and significant number of these significant positions that are all female. And I personally could not be happier than to see this. But I don't care personally if it's male or female. I don't care if the entire administration is female. To the same extent, I don't care if the entire administration are male, as long as they're competent. And that's finally what we're going to have in this Biden administration, because the team and, and, and I, it bothers me, actually, that they keep referencing it to an all female and in new incoming administration. And I think that that detracts from them because you're not supposed to look whether it's male or female. Let's look for who's competent. And they are. And I am, if anything, excited to see what a real administration with real professionals and people with real empathy and real capabilities are going to be able to do in this country in order to undo the shit that Trump has caused over the past four years. You know, now, Maz, I've been asking this to all of my guests, and I want to, of course, ask the same to you. If there was to be some type of a trial or a commission that would try and convict Trump enablers and the sycophants for the damage that they have done to this country, who do you think would be on the list? Obviously, besides for Donald Trump, of course, because I have my list, but I'm curious to hear who you think and why. Well, it's funny you ask that question because when, when he lost, it, you know, we were all so entrenched in that election and the stress that it was causing when they weren't calling it. And every day you'd turn on the TV and CNN had a new way of mentioning that Biden might be winning, you know, say Biden on precipice of victory, Biden victory coming soon, Biden win on the horizon. And it, it was like there was a guy with a thesaurus in the back going, I'm running out of words. Let's just call it. And they finally called it. And it was like, oh, my God. And that Saturday was so beautiful. And everyone was thinking this guy is going, you know, the the the, the, the witch is dead. Oh, my God, he's leaving. But then a week or two later, I forget where I was. I was just kind of thinking about something. I go, wait a minute. All the other guys are leaving too. Stephen Miller is leaving. Uh, Jared Kushner is leaving. Peter Navarro is leaving. Scott Atlas already left. And on and on and on. I mean, he's already pardoned a couple of his of his clowns, the Mike Flynn and, the, and Roger Stones is coming to whatever level of pardon he's going to give him. So I personally, like, I don't, I honestly can't think of I'm trying to think. I was like, there was not one member of the administration where I watched and said, oh, this person seems reasonable. Even John Bolton, who in the in the political world is a very smart political uh, animal, I, I'm 180 degrees opposed to his views. So even when they were competent politically, my positions were so opposite theirs. Steve Mnuchin, I... I, I you, 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 I like to not like Steve Mnuchin. I mean, from that picture he had with his wife with the cash and the flights and the, and there's just something, something unlikable. Somehow he was able to um, surround himself. I mean, mention something. Does anyone come to mind in his cabinet that you go, that person, 
Ben Carson. I don't like Ben Carson. I is there any cabinet member you can think of that you go that guy was all right? Anyone? Gary Gary Cohn. Gary Cohn is Gary one Cohn. of the most competent and one of the most intelligent people that I've had the good fortune of knowing and meeting. Um, he was very smart to get the hell away from there after a year. He said he said this place is a nut house. I don't want to be a part of it because. Nothing good is going to come out of it. And he, he predicted that going back three years ago. And, and that's the point exactly. As a matter of fact, I've met Gary Cohn as well. You're absolutely right. He's very smart, but absolutely right. He got out fast. So the, the one guy who was, oh, he's got it. And, and I think part of it was he, he had some, uh, I, I think it was, it came around when it was the, um, when he did the both people, good people on both sides thing. And Gary Cohn being obviously smart and, and and uh, I, I believe uh, Jewish, uh, he understood that these guys chanting at the Charlottesville rally are not good people on both sides, and so smartly got out. So you're absolutely right. But yeah, there's there's a list of 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 those folks that I'm gonna enjoy watching. First of all, leave Melania. I used I used to defend Melania. I used to say this poor girl is caught up in this thing, and then I hear her talking about. You know, fuck Christmas, fuck the kids. This I'm like, whoa, this lady is a disaster herself. They're all disasters, man. I was saying as their kids, listen, remember when Ronald Reagan's kid, Ron Reagan, was came out and said, I'm opposed to the way my parents are and what they're doing. He was critical of his parents' policies. And you go, wow, that's great. That's how a kid should be. It's, it's natural for a kid to rebel against their parents. None of the kids have said, I'm stepping out from this mad madness. I'm the guy's kid and I can leave. If one of those kids, they had the chance, they had four years. Think about this, Michael. They had four years to prove their own integrity. And none of them, none of them stepped up and said, I can't be a part of this madness. I can't be a part of kids in cages. I can't be a part of uh, uh, an attack on LGBTQ rights. I can't be an attack, uh, be a part of attack on immigrants. I can't be a, a part of, 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 of decreasing the number of refugees. I work with a, an organization called Mary's List. They help refugees resettle in America. And she was telling me the numbers used to be in the hundreds of thousands of refugees that we would help bring from different parts of the world to America after vetting them. When he came out and said, we need to do extreme vetting, there's already extreme vetting. These people got to jump through hoops for three years to prove that they can come and, and, and live in America. And that number that was 100,000, Mary was telling me that they used to uh, um, only be able to process a portion of that. So maybe, I don't know, 70, 80,000. Now the number allowed has already whittled down in four years to like 18,000. So we've gone from 100,000 down to 18,000. That's not what America is. And so I can't wait for all of these bozos to be out. I, I hope nobody, you know, somebody wrote an article about how, how a lot of these guys aren't going to get jobs in, in certain universities. They shouldn't. I mean, who's going to say, why would you hire Stephen Miller? I would never hire Steve. That's that's that that's that's a, a a stain on your organization if you do. He's a bad person, as they all are. I say that all the time. That could you imagine a guy comes and hands you a resume, and on the top of it it says, you know, speechwriter for President Donald J. Trump. To me, that's a massive shit stain on your resume. I mean, the first thing I would do is stick it in the shredder and have the guy escorted out and possibly beaten on the way out. But <laughs> I'm with you as well on the Melania deal. 
I used to always defend Melania. I, I never saw her in the light until I had Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, the author of Melania and Me, uh, on the show. And I happen to know her personally, and I've spoken to her. Some of the things that came out of Melania's mouth, I still, if it wasn't that I heard them in her own voice, I never would have believed it. And to me, that's one of the most disappointing things that I've learned over the course of the last few years, that she's as bad as he is. And that to me, I just, I, I, I cannot, I can't fathom it because I never saw her that way. Let me ask you this, Michael, because again, you're someone and you have redeemed yourself by coming out and being critical and showing that you're human, that they can be, think critically about this guy. But what happens in your opinion? What happens that, again, everybody falls in line? What happens where, and, and I feel that it was probably happening before he was president, the people that were under him had a fear of talking back to him and saying, hey, you're, you know, that idea you have is a stupid idea or, or, or challenging them on certain things. What happens? Because I personally have always been a believer that no matter who you are, you are uh, um, fallible. We're all human beings. So I have a father. One of the things I, I actually thought about this, my dad, he was a successful businessman when he was alive and, and he was somewhat conservative. And I feel like Part of seeing his flaws and standing up to him, he didn't want me to get into comedy, but I got into comedy and it ended up being the right thing. So part of seeing his flaws and realizing that he's not invincible made me go, oh, nobody's perfect. We should challenge everybody. We should challenge even the Dalai Lama's going to make mistakes. So what do you think it is that, that, that gets people to, is it fear of him? Is it the cult of personality, which is fear and love, which is the whole thing of, you know, what is it that gets people to not challenge him? His own kids, his wife, these people that are closest to him who would say, dude, just give it up. Stop the tweeting about the whatever it is. Concede the election. It's over. Why don't they? Well, that's a very complex question. I'll try to break it down. It's a combination of both. There's a cult-like atmosphere to everyone that has joined, not just the Trump organization, but the Trump administration as well. From the moment you walk into the Trump Tower and walk past the Trump, um, the, the Trump desk, into the Trump elevator, to the Trump floor that has the Trump organization name in massive letters onto it, as well as on the glass doors, and you're drinking Trump ice, and you know, and you go down for lunch at the Trump Grill, and you you can get a smoothie or ice cream at the Trump ice cream parlor, right? Everything is Trump, 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 including when you fly on his plane, which is a big giant billboard that has his name scrolled across. So it it becomes a cult. But the real fear that you bring up, and it applies to the children as well. Something he tells you every day that you walk into that office. You are always one day away from being shit-canned. Nobody's job is safe. And that, and he would say to the kids too, I'll fire your ass like I'll fire anybody else. And every day that you come in there is technically your last day. And it's possibly the fear of being fired, not wanting to be fired, um, enjoying the action because there was always a lot of celebrity action. There was a lot of real estate action that was always going on. That, to me, is the reason why I fell into it. 
And it's the reason I believe that so many other people have fallen into the cult of Donald J. Trump. What I don't understand are those people that aren't working for him, the Americans that are taking their hard-earned dollars during this COVID pandemic when everybody is suffering, unless you're that one one-hundredth of the one percenters. Everybody is suffering and suffering tremendously, and yet they're taking their dollars and they're giving it to this asshole-in-chief so that why? That when he gets out, he's going to have gas money for his 757? So that he can use your 200 million raised in order to pay off part of the debt that's going to be coming due on his real estate. I just, I truly don't get it. You know what they do? There's, uh, I, uh, on my podcast, I had on um, an anthropologist. He was an evolutionary anthropologist, and he was. We were talking about the the liberal mind and the conservative mind, and they're actually differences in the brains. They've done articles on this, and it shows you that the the liberal mind functions on hope while the conservative mind functions on fear so what trump did and what republicans have done for years and years um and and i again i know there's obviously moderate republicans moderate conser- uh, 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 democrats etc but but the number one uh, strategy has been to push fear and anybody who watched the rnc in 2016 where they were just screaming, death and destruction is coming your way. And I always say, in 2016, they said, Muslims and Mexicans are coming to get you. In 2018, they said, there's a caravan that's coming to get you. In 2020, they said, black people are coming to get you. And so these people that are donating money are living off of this fear that if somehow this man goes away, that socialism is gonna take over, that uh, black people are going to move into their neighborhoods. Newsflash, black people already live in your neighborhoods and doing, are doing great with, with or without your consent. And you should be happy there's black people in your neighborhoods. You should be happy there's diversity in your neighborhoods. But these people have clinged on to that and they've taken, and I think there's a little bit, I've never thought of him as a smart person, but he's smart at marketing. He's smart at getting on the right bandwagon and he got and 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 you know there's that quote i don't know if it's true or not but at some point he supposedly said like I, if i ever run i'll run as a republican because they're you know they're idiots meaning like they're going to listen to me and i'm going to use fear and I, and this is i'm not trying to poop on all republicans i'm just saying that the 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 idea of fear can be used and he's still using it i mean the other day when he did his little press conference on facebook when it came out that that there's uh, there's an investigation of, by the DOJ looking into the pardons that people were trying to buy pardons that 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 they're looking at his kids. Part of that speech, he said, "Oh, this is this is they're coming after me and us." He said, "Me and us," and I'm like, "No, dude, always the collective." Yeah, no one's coming after us. They're they're coming after you. They're coming after you, you crook. And so that's why I think these people give their money because he has convinced them that somehow. Uh, their livelihood is at stake as well. So you bring up an interesting point because part of the Donald Trump phenomenon and how he markets is really predicated on journalism and the press and the amount of time that they gave Donald Trump over every other candidate. And what it brings me to this, on November 29th, you forwarded a post about Maria Bartiroma's delusional interview with Donald Trump on Fox Business News. 
How damaging do you believe it to be when so-called journalists simply parrot back Trump's talking points as if they were the truth? Knowing that they're not, they parrot back these talking points as if they were the truth. And if you had to choose one to invite for dinner, would it be Maria Bartiroma or Lou Dobbs? First of all, I would never have either one, either one of those people at dinner, Michael. Please, I I, I try to enjoy my dinners. Uh, it's hard enough being in pandemic lockdown, much less being in pandemic lockdown with Lou Dobbs or Bartiromo. I mean, come on, man, that's not that's not a good choice. Um, I'll be honest. It's funny you say that because we all know that you know MSNBC is on the left, CNN is on the left, and Fox is on the right, and OAN is further right. We all know who's playing what game. So when you watch it, you you take everything with a grain of salt, and and at the same time you go, oh, that guy's talking facts. Now that guy's lying and and you follow along. Well, I tend to watch more MSNBC or Rachel Maddow's. I tend to watch uh, uh, CNN, your your uh, uh, Chris Cuomo's, Don Lemon's. And I just, you know, I'll go back and forth. Every once in a while, I'll go to Fox just to see what's going on. I swear to God, one time, Michael, I clicked on Fox and it was Judge Jeanine Pirro interviewing Eric Trump. And I like had a bodily, physical, visceral reaction. Like, oh my God, I just like, a, a bad person was just uh, exponentially upped by another bad person. I just, I couldn't even follow their logic, their, their screaming, their lack of facts. And so when you watch someone like, uh, you know, Bartiroma, I used to be a fan of hers because she used to do all the, uh, uh, the economic stuff. And I was like, oh, she's pretty good. And meanwhile, you come and you see, as you said, they've now become a mouthpiece for this guy. They don't check him. Every once in a while, when somebody checks him, it's so interesting to see. You know, when 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 Chris Wallace checked him, you go, I mean, it was such a great thing to see when um, uh, Leslie Stahl checked him on, on 60 Minutes and you see him get frustrated. And I go, we need to do more of that. We need to do more of turning off of like when he started. Listen, Michael, I, I don't know about you. When he first started doing those daily coronavirus briefings, that's when I was really worried because I go, oh, my God, every day they're putting him on. And as much as I know that it's bullshit, his followers are getting to watch him for two hours a day, whatever it was, yapping away and thinking to themselves, oh, he's doing a good job because that's all they hear because that's all he says. I'm doing a good job. We're doing a great job. I'm doing a great job. This, everything's great. It's going to be gone in April. It'll be the hot weather will miraculously get rid of it. Oh, it's only two cases. Oh, no, don't worry about the masks. And, and, and so, yes, you're absolutely right. I think that whether it was uh, Mark Burnett with The Apprentice, uh, or 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 all the press coverage he got, you know, it makes you realize that Americans really don't care what you're saying, as long as you're famous and you're on air. They're gonna you're gonna find a following. You're gonna find a fan base that will support you. You took part in the fantastic Thanksgiving Twitter pylon that was known as Diaper Don Gate. Do you <laughs> did you expect it to get to the point where Trump? actually responded in fury when it became the number one trending topic and then demanding the repeal of Section 230 of the Communications Act as a matter of national security? I mean, because that's what you're really talking about right now. Michael, there was a time early on in his administration where I thought um, that perhaps he will 
perhaps the people around him will make him become presidential and worry about presidential matters. And as a matter of fact, when when he won in 2016, now my daughter now is nine years old. Back then she was what, five going on six, you know, around that age. And it was impossible to turn the TV off. So she'd seen a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, going on. And, and so she, again, knowing her father comes from an immigrant background. My wife comes from India originally, but we both grew up in America. We're Americans. But at one point, my little baby girl, she asked me, she goes, she goes, so daddy, am I going to be deported? And I said, no, baby, you're not going to be deported. I go, you were born in America. You're an American citizen. And my son as well, they were both on board. And I go, guys, here's the thing. And it was really their first election that they'd really been able to pay attention to age-wise. I said, here's the thing. I go, the beauty of it is, I go, as much as I don't like Donald Trump. I said, he has won. So we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. This is like right going into before the inauguration. I go, we got to give, give him the benefit of doubt. And I said that we uh, we live in a country. Go, That's the beauty of this country. Our power gets handed down peacefully. I go, other countries have revolutions every 30 years and there's a new leader. I go, this country, peaceful democracy. Therefore, we need to support him and see how he does. And I swear to God, Michael, that first weekend, he's on Twitter tweeting about Alec Baldwin's performance on Saturday Night Live. And I'm going, holy shit, this guy's an idiot. And I lost right away everything I just told my kids about being um, you know, uh, supportive and being open-minded just went out the door. So the fact that he's upset about Diaper Don, when you're the president, you should be you should be like what people are doing tweeting about diaper that doesn't matter i'm trying to save lives from the coronavirus that's what he should be worried about and yet his ego doesn't allow him to and we all know he's what he's good at is tweeting and watching tv so you know it's in his wheelhouse so i'm not surprised yeah and attacking people but i want to further this this topic uh, on november 23rd you wrote i came to america in the late 1970s Shortly after the Iran hostage crisis happened, and as an Iranian, I had to face bullies who thought they could push people around and rules that did not apply to them. I've seen these types of entitled dudes my whole life. Discuss what made you write that tweet and how it relates to Donald Trump today. You know, what made me write that tweet was because, again, when the election was done, he continued to not concede and continues to not concede. And so you would read things that he's saying, and a lot of the stuff was him, A, being in denial, but also thinking that, no, you guys can't push me out. And my answer was, yes, we can push you out. We're going to push you out. You've already lost. What, no matter what delusion you want to live in, you've lost. And so as a kid, yes, <clears throat> I came from Iran to America, we were one of the only groups that came from another country, immigrated to America, and quickly, the country that we left took Americans hostage. So what happens? Americans here, as you know, when you get caught up in the patriotic fervor, they have no immediate Iranians to beat up on. So then they find us who've immigrated to get away from the government that's taken the hostages. So I'm on your side, dude. Don't be bullying me for it. I'm on your side. But they would come. They would call you back then. They would call you fucking Iranian. They would beat you up. I had friends getting beaten up. I got I got bullied and all that. And so I think I learned through my stand-up comedy and, and through growing up and becoming uh, aware that I am good enough 
to be the American that I am. I am good enough to have my own opinions. One of my biggest pet peeves, Michael, is when people come on Twitter and they go, stick to comedy. I'm like, well, then you stick to plumbing or whatever the hell it is you do. I have opinions. I'm a grown man. So once you gain that confidence, you realize you got to stand up to everybody and anybody who is doing something that's wrong. And what Trump's been doing is absolutely wrong. And for him to think that he can get away with it is 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 a, is a delusion in itself. And that's where that tweet came from. It's not a delusion because he is getting away with it. That's the saddest part. With half of this country, he is getting away with it. And what drives me crazy, like you, is this notion that he he cannot handle because of his fragile ego to be considered a loser, which is why he will not show up at the inauguration. And I think that's like the second time in U.S. history He'll be the second president not to show up. The other one was like 200 years ago, right? Yeah. Why? You're absolutely right in that he is getting away with it from that portion of the population. But that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like when you're on the playground and the bully is bullying. Well, his bully friends are coming in on it. So those bully friends are letting him get away with it. But what I'm saying is there's got to be enough of us and there is enough of us already who are going, no, no, we're going to punch you in the nose. And we've punched him in the nose. So he's not going to get away with it in that sense, meaning he's going to leave whether he likes it or not. January 21st, Joe Biden's going into that White House. So I agree with you. There is unfortunately a lot of people who still uh, support the bully. My whole mission in life has been to stand up to bullies. My whole mission in life, I always, whenever I saw somebody getting bullied, it, it pissed me off, it upset me, and I would jump in right away. And, and, and so, again, like you said, I don't understand why that portion of the population does not see that he is bullying his way against the Constitution, against democracy, against our country. Um, uh, so, yeah, man, I, I, you're right. He's not going to show up that day. He's going to he's going to counter program it. He's going to do something else that's stupid. But we got to ignore it. A, a Facebook better step up and not 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 uh, broadcast anything. I mean, it's that's a disappointment, too. Zuckerberg should be shutting him down, just like the other guys have started to shut him down. We need to just shut that down. But again, uh, we'll, we'll see. But not only are these individuals not standing up and punching the bully, right? They're supporting it. I mean, this fucking guy got $200 million already since the election. I mean, not only are they not standing up to the to the bully tactics, to the divisive rhetoric between American and American, right? I don't care what color, what faith, what religion that you are. We're all Americans. And instead of Americans standing up for other Americans, not only are they not doing that, but they're supporting the bully. So to me, I am, again, I'm lost. I'm bewildered. He has taken the office of the presidency right into the swamp. And for some reason, these people want to join him in the swamp, which I just don't fully get. But I do want to switch gears for one moment as we start to wind down. You recently posted a video about Ted Cruz spouting off about the election. And you write, how did this guy get into Harvard and Princeton? If you speak to anybody about Ted Cruz, Republicans included, no one fucking likes the guy. He is universally detested like the high school valedictorian who everybody hates. 
How does he continue to get reelected? Because watching him now after Trump absolutely humiliated him and his family, he stands up for the president. Because again, I just don't get it at all. Well, he's another one. You know, so a couple of things. First of all, the people that are supporting Trump, again, we go back to that idea of fear. I think that these guys, the Republicans do a great messaging of selling fear. And the idea is if you don't, if we don't uh, uh, um, find the fraud, there's fraud. And if we don't fight it and, and if Trump does not win, then your taxes are going to go up. They're going to try and push health care on you, which, by the way, we should all have health care. They're going to do all this socialist stuff. They're going to all the other stuff I said in South Florida. They're saying, you know, uh, um, um, you know, this guy's going to become friends with Cuba. And basically they sell fear. And so there's enough people that are buying the fear going, we got to fight. So I'm going to donate. I'm going to donate. As you said, your hard earned money during a pandemic, you're given to this grifter. It's such an obvious grift. It says specifically the money's going to go to something else. You watched Rudy Giuliani. It's a joke. I mean, it's a total joke. So um, that, I think, is one of the ways they're getting these people in. Now, Ted Cruz and all these senators, listen, again, I'm not naive. Politicians' job is to keep power. They stay, can maintain power. Even uh, Mitt Romney, who came out and criticized him a couple of times um, and, and voted against him, somebody asked him, they go, why do you think your uh, uh, colleagues on the Republican Senate, they, they don't never vote against him in, in certain things. And and Mitt Romney said, look, politics is about power. Some One group has it, one group wants it. So the Republicans are doing whatever they can to keep that power. So your Mitch McConnell, your Lindsey Graham's, your Ted Cruz's. Ted Cruz, to me, again, I, I don't, the, the clip of him is him saying that if Joe Biden wins the day after You'll see coronavirus is going to be over. No one's going to be talking about it. It's going to be gone. And I'm sitting there going, is this guy saying this to be manipulative or is he just crazy and actually believes that? And here we are, because the, the reason that was making the rounds was because, you know, our covid rates are going up where it's getting worse. And so, yeah, this Ted Cruz, nobody likes that guy. Um, and, and again, it's, I don't know what's going on in his head and it's, and it's really, it's a little, um, uh, uh, heart, not heartbreaking, but it's a little, uh, uh, disappointing to look up. I always Wikipedia people. I go, where'd this guy go? And, and, and I looked it up and, and it was Harvard and Princeton. And I go, well, how does that even happen? Like, is it, is it that easy to get in? Was it, did somebody pay money to get him in or was he smart? Are there a lot of smart people like that who, think in such a crazy way. Again, Michael, if you got with me and you said, I'm conservative, I'm Republican, you're Democrat, here's what I believe should happen. I believe in less uh, government. All right, now we're getting into some discussions we can have, debate, right? I believe in in private uh, enterprise doing all of the work for government. Now we can have a discussion. But when you come out and say, if if the Democrat wins the day after coronavirus is going to be gone, that's the same shit Trump was saying. And it's not gone. It's real. How, are you guys, are, are you, do you believe what you're saying? Or are you just trying to manipulate people? And, and then, like you said, you see their followers just repeating it. And it's frustrating as hell because it's almost like I'm sitting there going, Ted Cruz, I think you know you're lying. And you don't care that your constituents are just going to believe it and repeat it because they're not smart enough 
to realize it's a lie. Yeah, and it's really sad. I, mean, I want you to think about this. I want the listeners to think about this. If if somebody told 30,000 lies over a four-year period, that they've created the wildest conspiracy theories that are out there, including that there's a program with the election system that for every time that the vote was made for Donald Trump, it was recorded as Joe Biden, right? Then you turn around and you and you say, and here's the greatest one. This is the recent one that the pharmaceutical industry was in on it with Joe Biden. Because if you notice that the vaccine came out the day after the election or the day of the election, that therefore that they're in cahoots with Joe Biden. And this guy wanted to be your partner in business. And I don't care what the business is. Would you accept somebody like this coming into your home, into your business, into your life? To me, the answer is a resounding fuck no. No. Stay the fuck away from me. And yet, and yet more Americans voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than voted for him in 2016 when he won. And more Americans are giving away their hard-earned money to Donald Trump than ever before. What's wrong? What's going on here? I'm, I am confused and I'm dismayed. Well, you know, it's what we were talking about earlier. I think that social media's power is a big part of this. I think that crazy guy who used to be at Sproul Plaza at Berkeley and you would walk by him and not give him any mind now has that million followers. Now you got your QAnons, these people who just take a best of conspiracy theories and they create even more. They believe that there's a guy in government that's sending out hints for them to decipher. And then that, and then, and then as the facts come together, they, they, they're telling you JFK Jr. has been alive and showing up at Donald Trump rallies. I mean, it gets crazier and crazier, but these people believe it. And again, I have friends of mine, Michael, who are doctors, educated, and they'll send me links of videos with zero context. It'll be a video of uh, some doctor somewhere talking about how, yes, Fauci and Bill Gates um, had started this together to make more money. And, and this doctor's talking, they seem very, they see the, the doctor that's talking on the video seems very reputable. So what happens is enough people are watching these things and falling for it and believing what's going on and all these conspiracies. So we're in this world right now with your QAnons. And, and if, and, and if these things aren't regulated you know i i don't know if you've watched the um netflix had something called um the social dilemma it was all about social media and how they feed you they get you in the loop into that echo chamber of of seeing the things that you like over and over and over again well i've heard people say this and it's true it, it, technology is always ahead of regulation so right now the way that television is regulated yes you can have your political attack ads and all that stuff. But there's a lot of stuff you can't necessarily say on television and get away with. The internet companies, the social media companies don't have as much um, 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 regulation. And we need to implement more regulation to make sure that, that pages like QAnon or conspiracy theory videos, or now the Trump's pages, a lot of this stuff needs to be regulated or taken off so that people don't fall for these wacky, crazy ideas that 
like you said, makes you go, wait a minute, I would never go into business with somebody talking like this. And yet they voted for him and they don't see the craziness of his, I mean, this guy is the old crazy uncle who's had conspiracy theories forever. And I, he believed in the birther movement. He, he, he believed, probably believed that Ted Cruz's dad was involved with the JFK kill. I mean, he just like throws out He's just sitting there going like, well, how do you know it's not true? How do you know? Well, first of all, let me so let me stop you on that one as we as we wind this up. It's not true. Donald Trump did not believe either of those. I was involved in both. Right. I was involved with David Pecker and American media with the National Enquirer on designing the front page showing Ted Cruz's father next to Lee Harvey Oswald. All right. Um. Donald Trump knew it wasn't real, but it didn't matter because it made him front page headline. And that's all he cares about is seeing his name on television or in the newspaper. And the same thing held true for the birther movement. Donald Trump believes that Barack Obama was born in the United States. All right. He'll say, oh, it's not true. I've, I've never seen any proof. It's bullshit. He knows that he was. But because he jumped onto that birther movement. And he saw all of a sudden the phone started ringing, the press going crazy, his name on the front of New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, AP, everywhere. And all of a sudden his Twitter followers went from like 3 million to 5 million. This was the greatest con in the history of America, second to him becoming president, because he knew it was a lie and he rode that lie straight to the White House. Well, I'm happy you clarified that because I've always wondered what he believed and what he didn't believe. And what you just said made me realize he's more sinister than than I had imagined. And secondly, it, 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 it reiterates what I said, which is he has always been the, the uh, good at marketing. And he's always been the guy who called up, you know, the Fortune 500 or Forbes, whatever it was that 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 rich list and, and pretended to be his own secretary to get himself on the list. He's always been that guy. So he hasn't believed in any of this bullshit, but he's uh, uh, promulgated it so that he can be in the limelight. And he did it all the way up to becoming a president, right? Because he came right out and started talking shit about Mexicans. He started talking, and, and Americans are crazy enough where they're like, yeah, all right, I'll go along with this guy. I like him because he says what's on his mind. That's the biggest bullshit in the world. I like him. <laughs> he would say stuff, and I would watch. i go, he, does he have any strategy at all? He would just be like, yeah, if I become president, we're going to build infrastructure and then we're going to become number one and we're going to defeat China. And, and I was like, where is the strategy? Zero plan. Where's your taxes? Oh, I can't show it to you right now. So you're right. Biggest fraud in history. He's a big grifter and he continues to grift his way out of the office. Well, Maz, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your insight. And um, please stay COVID free, wear that mask, stay social distance, right? And do everything Absolutely. that President-elect Biden and his thoughtful administration are telling us to do. You're absolutely right. And Michael, I got to get you on my podcast, Back to School with Maz Jobrani. So we'll talk about that because I love your insight into this. And again, let me say to you, thank you for coming out of the cult and getting so active against the cult because that's needed by more and more people. That might be one of the ways to solve the Trump cult dilemma, the problem. Well, I look forward to being on your podcast and be well, my friend. Thank you. I originally thought that Donald Trump would go to Mar-a-Lago for Thanksgiving and simply never return. 
Why go through the hassle of governing and deal with the day-to-day of running his government when he could simply fly back to Palm Beach, install himself inside his winter palace? It's where he is still beloved and where people still line up to kiss his fat ass and tell him he's fucking brilliant. It will also be where he runs any future operations and where he will launch Trump Media and his rumored 2024 kickoff event. Either way, we aren't likely to get rid of Donald Trump anytime soon. His rumored plans to stage his own made-for-television plan to depart the White House before the inauguration and jet off to a MAGA celebration at the same time will be his parting shot and final insult and his opportunity to say fuck you to those who want him gone. Unfortunately, it may only be the beginning of what's to come. At least when Richard Nixon left in disgrace, he drifted largely into irrelevancy. If Trump succeeds on this victory tour of his and ends his time in office with a shameless announcement for four more years, we might as well buckle in for the bullshit as he will use that media moment as his golden escalator towards another term. Let's turn the channel now and avoid it altogether. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. This is my mea culpa.